Blog Talk Radio. Time with Pastor Steph. And then 
stabbing him to death. And being in such a rage that you even retaliate, you know, on a person who comes to lend a hand. And, you know, we talked about the fact that, you know, we as Christian people have come through many a trauma and what could potentially happen when we do not resolve issues, you know? And boy, did we get some testimony yesterday. Oh, we talked about issues with our parents as young people growing up. That testimony came out and how there was just hatred, so much hatred, you know, and coming from a young child, you know, these days and times, you know, our young people are not just hating. No. They are actually, you know, they are responding to whatever bit of trauma they feel they have received. And we're watching children who, for the, you know, reason that they can't get what they want from Amazon or they're asked, they're being asked to clean their room. They're, they're killing their parents. Or at least attempting to. So can you imagine growing up in a world where, you know, we got what we got and you heard of someone else, you know, getting beat and then you had to worry about someone actually coming back to kill you. That's a lot to be concerned with. We talked about, you know, how you see the perpetrator right in the church. What do you do then? What happens when the the old perpetrator is an usher at the door of the church. Uh, wow, a lot to think about. Now, how do you lay down that anger? How do you lay down that hurt and pain that you really haven't dealt with in all those and it was brought up that, you know, <laughs> you know, we see these people, you you have your flashbacks. You could even be listening to a little old song and end up with a flashback. Yeah. You don't know what's going to stimulate that thought. You don't know what's going to stimulate those old feelings. You don't know what's going to stimulate any level of hatred. And we know that that is definitely not of the Lord. However, you know, you thought you got over it. Because it's been many years since you've seen that individual who's caused you so much pain. It's been years, decades that you've seen the individual that hurt you, 
and you never dealt with it. And you pushed it to the side because life has treated you well and you found the Lord and, you know, life has changed for you and you're married and you got kids and y'all go on your vacations and, man, that don't mean a thing. In some cases, it doesn't. We really had, you know, something to talk about when, you know, when you hear that that song. And I even gave my own testimony, you know, I hear the song. And initially, I was bopping. But then it leads you down a road of remembrance. What happens then? You know, I've, I've, I've received Christ as my personal Savior, you say, and I've given my life to God, and I'm not an angry person anymore, and, you know, things have changed over the years, and I'm not who I used to be, and the Lord has dealt with all these things in my life, and lo and behold, you hear a song. Lo and behold... You see a person. Lo and behold, you you see something on TV or in a movie that stimulates feelings. Sometimes you don't even know where those feelings come from. Have you ever just started crying and you don't know why you need to cry? Like, you got to get this thing out. A lot of people experience that. So, take it before the Lord. Let Him let you know what it is. Why you are the way you are. Why you do the things you do. You know? We had an excellent conversation yesterday and uh, that's how we spent our Tuesday I I really encourage you to go back I really encourage you to go back and uh, just listen and learn and, and just see how Others have dealt with it. Okay. All righty. Now go back. I'm telling you, go back. There's, there was some testimony there. You don't want to hear that testimony. All righty. All righty. Well, today is Wow Wednesday. And uh, <laughs> I tell you. We are rejoicing because we are in the middle of the week. Okay? So, hmm. We got some stuff to talk about because today is socially conscious day. Yes, and we know our girl Vivian is going to have something that is definitely going to stimulate some thought, some conversation. And I can't wait to hear what she's got. So, go 
get that healthy breakfast. Go tell someone that is due time with Pastor Steph is on. And, hey, don't go nowhere because we'll be right back. National Freedom Day commemorates the signing by Abraham Lincoln on February 1, 1865 of a resolution proposing the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution to outlaw slavery in the United States. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Just one month later, in his second inaugural address, Lincoln quoted Jesus' words from Matthew 18, verse 7. For it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. And in his address, Lincoln equated those offenses to American slavery, words bringing mixed emotions to his audience, and now inscribed in stone at the Lincoln Memorial. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Okay, 
in our black history. Not just Martin Luther King, you know about him already, but some other, you know, accomplishments that have gone on, you know, and have taken place amongst our people. Okay? All right. Well, let's say good morning to our girl, Vivian. Good morning, Viv. Good morning. Happy Wild Wednesday. How are you, Pastor Seth? I am well. Thank you. How are you, Viv? Fine. Thank you. <laughs> ah, you're almost there, Viv. You're almost there. All right. <laughs> what you got for us today? All right. Today on Socially Conscious, we have some very interesting stories. Starting off with a topic that has really grinded some gears here on its due time with Pastor Steph, and that is the discussion of these migrants. So apparently there were a group of migrants that were being held in the hotel temporarily, and after some time, they took a large group of migrants to a Brooklyn cruise terminal. But these groups of migrants did not like the conditions of the cruise terminal, so they returned back to the hotel in which they were being held, only to not be let in because their rooms and or beds were t- or were given away. So they decided they were going to camp out in tents in front of the hotel establishment. So city councilwoman and former Manhattan Borough President Gail Brewer confirmed that several dozen adult men camped on the sidewalk will not be forced to move. They say this pause and the standoff comes after a 10th day of city officials trying to get them to disperse. At one point, following negotiations, city workers finally convinced the migrants outside the Watson Hotel to at least dismantle part of their tent encampment in order to make a path on the sidewalk in front of the hotel. Advocates who have brought food and clothing for the migrants say that this all started on Sunday night when the city began busing the adult male uh, asylum seekers staying at the Watson Hotel to a new emergency relief center at the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal in Red Hook. The city hopes to put migrant families back inside the Watson soon. They say that this has been going on again since Sunday. Uh, These people are just refusing to leave the sidewalk. They want to be put back inside the hotel. They do not want to be placed inside these uh, cruise terminals. Um, One man who is a migrant from, let me make sure I get this right. He's a migrant from, why is this, I can this, sorry. Well, one man, a migrant from uh, Mexico, I believe they said, he he said that he really didn't have a long-term plan when he decided to leave. He just did not like the conditions they walked into. They walked into this place, this building, with cots on top of cots, like from head to toe, and they did not like what they saw, so he decided to leave. He doesn't really have a plan, but he's like, I'm not accepting this. And it just baffles me 
that these people are coming out here and they have such demands. But it baffles me even more that the city and the council people are pretty much entertaining these demands. It just doesn't make any sense that they had these plans to bring these people out here and that they're bringing them out here in these conditions. And at the end of the day, they really did not have a, a plan. So local elected officials and activists compared the Brooklyn Cruise Terminal facility to to, to detention centers along the border and are calling for Mayor Eric Adams to be more transparent about what's happening. Um, Some opted to get on MTA buses bound for Red Hook, but others stormed past the barricades to join the encampment or go elsewhere in the city. Again, these people don't have no plan. They're, camp- they're camping out in front of the hotel. They're going uh, to other places, demanding rooms inside hotels, and there's just no space for them. And it's just, it's just a very, very crazy situation. So hopefully they will get this together soon, but it is not looking good, which we all knew that it wasn't, but now this is just it's it's now now we have proof that things are just not going well with this plan that they have for these migrants. And now speaking of homelessness, the city is looking at NYCHA apartments as a possible answer to the homelessness problem. According to NYCHA's own statistics, it had 490 vacant apartments in December 2021. However, by December 2022, that number skyrocketed to over 3,300 vacant apartments in the NYCHA facilities. They say that this time, uh, that the time it is taking for empty NYCHA apartments to be reoccupied has also increased significantly. They're saying that in December of 2021, it took about 120 days on average for a public housing apartment to be turned around for vacant, from vacant to occupied. And that time has rolled over the year. By December 2022, it took them 260 days to flip the apartment from vacant to occupied. Also, they are saying, according to NYCHA statistics, in addition to the 3,300 apartments that are vacant, there are an additional 3,700 apartments that are ready but haven't been occupied or are being renovated or that are ready but aren't being used for residential use. So there are over... 4,000 unused NYCHA apartments that the city is trying to figure out how to get occupied as quickly as possible as a way to curb this homelessness going on in the in in America pretty much but in New York City to be uh, specific so this is just crazy all around we got the migrants that are being displaced and demanding better conditions, and now we have these NYCHA apartments that are just sitting there that can be used. In our next story, we are heading to the schools. Um, Reports say that an assistant principal out at Mount Pleasant High School in Providence, Rhode Island, has been placed on paid leave 
after sending an email to uh, faculty and students requesting thousands of dollars to help settle a debt for a student in the school. They're saying that on January 26th, the assistant principal, Stephanie Harvey, sent an email asking for donations to help a student who, quote, came to America with coyote, end quote. So the assistant principal described this coyote word as a group that helps people, but the term has been used to to refer to someone who illegally smuggles migrants across the United States and Mexico border. They say this group gives you a time frame to make a payment of $5,000 to those who bring you across the state. Um, and I, I'm assuming she didn't know this when she sent out this email, but the school administrator, once they found out, found out what was going on, they made her, you know, retract this email and that they're saying that any funds that were donated, they were asking for um, $2,000 to help this student. So they're saying any funds that were donated will be returned. And parents are, of course, upset. One said, quote, this is a student in public school who is in danger. His family could be killed in the country where he's from if he doesn't pay this money. And instead of immediately notifying the authorities, we're doing a fundraiser for the Mexican cartel, end quote. Now, there were no explanations given as to why she got involved and began this fundraiser, but, again, I'm assuming she just wasn't aware, and this was just uh, a bad case of a kind, gullible assistant principal who just, you know, didn't take the proper steps. She didn't do any research, and she wound up getting involved with something that she really had no business being involved in, and then involving the entire school and including the, you know, faculty and the students and something that they really had no business being involved in. So, again, she's on paid leave as everything is under investigation and until they're figuring things out. They didn't necessarily say whether the student was a male or a female, how old they were, but let's just hope that they're, you know, doing the right things to help the student out who has now involved themselves and the Mexican cartel in order to get into this city. It's just a mess. <laughs> it's just a mess out here. Next, we have an update on the story that Pastor Seth brought to us, the Tyree Nicholas story. The pastor talked about the cops that were fired and arrested, and now we have a few EMTs that have been fired for their response to the fatal police beating of Tyree Nicholas as well. Reports say that Robert Long, Jermichael Sandbridge, and Lieutenant Michael Whitaker were found to have violated multiple department policies and protocols in their patient response to Nicholas on January 7th. Excuse me. Um, The fire department said in a statement, quote, their actions or inactions on the scene that night do not meet the expectations of the Memphis Fire Department and are not reflective of the outstanding service the men and women of the Memphis Fire Department provide daily in our community. So they're saying that the Fire Department EMTs were called because Nicholas was pepper sprayed, 
So they responded for medical attention. But when they arrived, they pretty much just stood there. They said that they failed to conduct an adequate patient assessment of Mr. Nicholas, despite the obvious signs of medical need. Uh, They said the medical care was not given to Nicholas until an ambulance arrived nearly 30 minutes after these mentioned EMTs showed up. So again, they have been fired, but as of right now, no arrests or charges have been made. I'm pretty sure, you know, just as they got these cops, that these EMTs will be charged with something as well. They saw this man, you know, beat up. They, they mentioned how he was linked over on the car, and he did nothing. They just pretty much stood there, and it took um, the ambulance coming and them finally administering medical care to him and bringing him to the hospital, which we know he later died from his injuries three days later. So they're going after everybody in this case. And now we have our wow story of the week. A listener submitted the story of a ninth grader who is now facing criminal charges after she got into an altercation with her teacher and broke the teacher's leg. So the video that was, of course, taken by students and posted to social media showed the teen um, approaching the teacher, shouting and cursing as she continuously told her she isn't going to talk to her any kind of way. The teacher responded, demanding the student to back out of her face. And as the teacher attempted to call for assistance, the female student knocked the cell phone out of her hands. The teacher walked outside the classroom, and the student followed, trying to slam the door closed behind her. But the teacher turned around and blocked the door before it shut. And while she tried to hold the triggered student back, the teen started kicking and becoming physical. Um, The student says, the students at the school say that this lady is a pretty good teacher, but how she talks, she talks with aggression. They said that, she she uh, she talks in a way that is not proper, not not a proper way to talk to them. So according to Rossdale County School District officials, the student has been suspended from school, and it is confirmed that she will be facing criminal charges. So the teacher is, you know, in the hospital recovering from a broken leg, and this ninth grader is now in custody at a juvenile detention center facing charges. So these kids are really out of control. These teachers are not safe. I came across this article of a teacher who was talking about that she quit being a teacher after five years, and she now works at Costco. She says she no longer fears for her life or lies awake at night, stressed and anxious about going to work the next day. She talked about how she does not miss being a teacher at all. She says, quote, my pace of my life work, my work life now is much better. I am not sick or exhausted like I used to be when I was a teacher, and I can pay my bills. So pray for y'all teacher friends. If y'all know any teachers out there, just pray for them. It is is just dangerous out here in these schools. They used to say that you need a passion for children to be able to teach because the money don't do it, but the passion ain't enough because it's, it's really dangerous out here. 
But this has been Vivian with Socially Conscious, giving you the news that we are following. And remember, if you have any wild stories you would like to submit, please feel free to direct message me on Facebook. My username there is Vivian BM. And come back every Wednesday to find out if your story has been chosen. Thank you, as always, to our loyal listeners. And thank you, Pastor Steph. Ah, thank you, Vivian. Uh, you stole my story. You know, the other day, I think, okay, so today is Wednesday. Monday, I kept saying I couldn't find one of my stories. And that was the story about the, the migrants on the sidewalk. So, uh, yeah, I, that's the story I couldn't find. It was driving me crazy. And I said I would bring it up tomorrow, even off the top of my head, if I couldn't remember, um, find the story because it was kind of easily remembered, just the gist of it. Uh, boy, we got some stories today. Yes, ma'am. Ooh, honey. Thank you so much, Vivian. And as always, we, you know, pray that you have a blessed day, and we ask that you uh, stick around for any uh, clarities that we may need. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so very much. You're welcome. All righty. Let's see. Let's talk to our ladies today. Elder Night Tisha is not on with us yet, I'd like to think. And let's talk to our lady, Tamika. Good morning, Lady Tamika. Good morning, and wow, Wednesday to you. How are you? Ma'am, wow, it is. I'm well, thank you. How are you today? I am doing just fine. Looking out at looking out my window at this little white stuff out here. It's snow. It's beautiful. That's the color I love to see it. As long as it stays white and it doesn't turn yellow or brown or gray, I'm quite content. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Now, Lady Tamika. I don't even know if I want to start there. I I think I'll I think I'll start somewhere else today because that one I told you was on my list for Monday. But I want to definitely go back to that. I want to go to the story of the assistant principal who sent out an email to get funds pretty much for a child who I believe is like illegally smuggled here and they're saying that if you, if they don't get money that the family back home and I'm just kind of hitting the gist of the story the family back home you know will be in danger and you know this is from this Mexican cartel that <clears throat> excuse me that you're, uh, you know, that they're dealing with, that's calling the shots and forcing the money and, you know, from this family and or this child or whomever. And, you know, the teacher didn't know 
you know, uh, that I guess she shouldn't have put this email out there for um, uh, oh my goodness gracious, just lost my thought. Um, I'm sorry, I just completely lost my thought. Oh, that's okay. okay. You meant putting the money out there for the child, right? Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And you know, she's supposed she supposedly sent out this email, and I don't know how you didn't know this is not something that was inappropriate to do. You know, normally, you know, there are channels in which you would solicit funds from the school or students in the school or parents in the school, but yet you would bring this issue to the school. I don't know. What You know, how are you picking up this story and, and the inappropriateness of this whole email business? Well, um, when we are born and raised here, we have absolutely no idea what anyone coming from another country, you know, labeled asylum seeker, um, is going through. We don't know what it's like out there, you know. um, We don't know how much of a struggle anyone has gone through to get here, you know, and um, considering that, we need to do proper research, especially in the environment that she's in, um, it, knowing that it can affect, you know, other people. And and honestly, I real I really feel that um, she she didn't do her research. You know, she she sent the email out, you know, just trying to help. You know, and I have myself been in situations where. You know, you haven't been in a situation where you're just trying to help. You know, you haven't gotten all the information. Somebody says, you know, I'm in debt, and you just go running, you know, to try and assist. What is it that I can do? What is it that I can help? You know, and I honestly believe that, you know, she intended well, you know, but didn't realize that, you know, this is where the situation is. And now, you know, everybody is, you know, now has to deal with your actions. You know, and now, you know, to save the school and all of the other, you know, departments that entail with it, including the principal, vice president, I mean, vice principal um, and superintendent, you put everybody's, you know, livelihood in jeopardy. Absolutely. Absolutely. You you hit the nail on the head. You didn't do your research properly. Uh, You didn't do even an administrative Research properly because you didn't even go to the proper authorities and find out, you know, what's how can we help? You know, how can we look to be of assistance as a school unit? You know, you sent out an email, and you're now recruiting, you know, help and funds. You're soliciting for funds, and this, this for me, this was a, a sensitive subject that you really should have thought about getting involved 
and getting the school involved in. The really, really a, a sensitive topic for you to automatically get the school involved in. Let's say good morning to Shantice and see what she's got to say about this matter. Good morning, Shantice. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. <laughs> you know, what do you say about this, this teacher who's soliciting funds for this assistance for this particular student or students at the end of the day because you can't, here's the problem, you can't just start with, you can't just do one at the end of the day. What do you say? Mm-hmm. And you just now shed a whole big flashlight, like you just put a whole big, big flashlight in this child's face, or these children's faces, you know, to ask where if there were any faculty members who did not know, you know exactly what was going on. Now they know, and very few people have a sharing heart, you know, where you could have been coming from a place of compassion, sympathy, maybe even empathy, and you're like, okay, as a, I can do something, but as a group we can do more, but you, you should have come up with a different way to present that Um you know, even if in another indirect way, without lying, you know, you were saying you were raising funds for something, and then on the side you donated the funds to the family, you know, or to an organization or something. But unfortunately, where you should be able to rally up your colleagues, whether it be in person, because that's something I wouldn't even send through email. That's like texting that to somebody, especially if they don't already know the information. Like, how do you just email that? as if we've already had multiple in-person meetings or even Zoom meetings about this and everyone is abrupt to the situation and the information, and now I'm sending out an email just confirming what was already said just to solidify, okay, so we are going to move forward with such and such a thing, and this is what we're going to do. But I wouldn't even send that as an email initially. Like, that, that was borderline tacky in itself. Yeah, but she she just helped to, you know, unfortunately, even if it wasn't her initial intention, but she just helped to now (laughs) put this whole, you know, like the child is walking down the hallway and now the teacher or the janitor or whomever is whispering like, oh, such and such, right? We have to really be careful about how we present things to people. You know, it's true, and as you were talking and Lady Tamika was talking brought my next question and you kinda of stepped up stepped in it. Is should we even have you know, it was that even appropriate period, you know, for a child in the school? I know again, like you said, it's something that might seem noble, but everything that's nice you know, is not always good the way you handle it and a lot of times you know, we're looking at intent, and the intent was good, but now at the end of the day, does it possibly cause children or a child some level of embarrassment? And and like uh, Vivian said, you know, she believes that the teacher just didn't really know or understand 
everything. And even if you did, you know, Lady Tamika, because has already spoken into this, do you think that that ultimately was even appropriate? Do we handle things that way? Should it have been more privatized? Definitely should have. Um, you know, putting it in in a form of email, you know, that and God knows where emails can go, you know. Um, you send an email to one, one set of people and then it gets sent to two people and they tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on and so on and so on, you know. And how do you know that by sending this email um, that it doesn't get back to home? Because it could. We've seen many of situations where, you know, people cut off certain people and you say, oh, well, it's only going to stay in this, this refined area, and it doesn't. You know, it spreads, and now you don't even know if you've caused further danger to this young person's relative. You don't know the damage that you've done, again, without doing the proper research and going through the proper channels. You yourself as an employee of an establishment, whether it's the Department of Education, whatever that label is, there, there are reasons why there's channels, you know, get in contact with those that are in the head. You know, um, you as just a lowly employee, you don't have the right to do so, and you don't know what that sending that email out, uh, embarrassment, danger, you know, you don't know what that has done, what damage you have done. Now you, you know, decided again, you know, just uh, doing it out of, you know, trying to help. Now you've caused more danger than good, more harm than good. Absolutely, absolutely. And something so sensitive uh, of, of a topic, you know, do you really just open up and and talk about that? It really, really, really is is something that you got to be real careful about. Especially when you're talking about you dealing with some Mexican cartel. You really don't know the sensitivity of it. So like Vivian said, it's probably something that she didn't quite understand and which is another reason why you, you know, gotta tread very carefully. Because even if you think you understand something like this, it is kinda sensitive. Very sensitive issue. All right. So another story that I had to talk about tomorrow were these EMTs for Tyree Nichols. Now, this here, this story, this entire story is really authentic. And if you watched the video, and I know some people said, I just can't, uh, I don't want to see it. Well, unfortunately, I had to look at it because, you know, when you cover a story, I planned to go much further out as far as the story was going. So one thing I could not do was not look at the video. I had to look at the video because I have to be able to speak on, you know, the content of the video. And it was it was it it was disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. I don't know how many of you watched it, how many of you couldn't, how many of you didn't. It was disgusting. It was absolutely disgusting. And the the beating was definitely unwarranted. And, and why I say 
this story is authentic in and of itself is because they show you, well, first of all, interestingly enough, the video was not taken by a person. The video was taken from a light pole. Yes, those poles that have the lights where they put cameras in those poles that shine directly above. So there's nothing that's kind of missed once you step into the frame of the camera. And it showed officers just getting out of their cars, uninvolved with this situation completely. They didn't they weren't a part of the the, 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 the takedown. They weren't a part of the initial approach. They were not a part of chasing him down. Nothing. And they just got out of their car. He was on the ground and one officer just got out of his car, walked up to him laying on the ground and just kicked him in the face. Other there was another officer who came out with a baton, never had, never did anything to this particular officer. They held him up. The officers held up Tyree Nichols, and they started beating on him, punching him in the face, literally holding him up so that he could be beaten by these other cops who he had done nothing to. Now, the extra authenticity of this story which amazed me the other day when I pulled up the the article and was preparing it for tomorrow and what Vivian talked about today. And I, I did mention the other day that they had some EMTs and things like that who they had arrested. Can you imagine, can you imagine being beat to a pulp? An EMT bus pulls up. And they just stand there and watch you suffer. Whether the beating was taking place at the time when they pulled up or whether he was just laying on the ground or leaning up against the car or whatever, but they literally pulled up and did nothing. What was going on in Memphis that day? Were they all on drugs? Were they was some, some sprinkled in the air? How does everybody, everybody who should have been attending to this man, everything falls apart? And the reason why I say that, go back to what I said a minute ago. There were officers there beating on him who had beat him. You, as an, uh, as an additional patrol car, you pull up, and instead of stopping what you see is happening or aiding the person who is being hurt, you just come in and just join them for no reason. You just join the melee. You then have EMTs who come and do the same thing who came and did the same thing. And as Vivian said, it took a whole 30 minutes from the time they arrived until the next bus arrived, if you will, to care for him. Uh, Shantice, we'll start with you. When Vivian mentioned, and I did hear about it, about the EMTs also being involved because 
they were called to the scene and did nothing. And my question was pretty much the same thing. Like, so was this, did everybody just wake up and, and have a meeting and say, all right, so we're not helping nobody today or tonight or we need a united front. So if you get called to where we are, then you don't do anything. I don't, I don't understand how my job is to be prepared for hostile situations as an EMT. So now I pull up, regardless of who is beating who, whatever, that can't be my initial concern. My concern is now run to the aid of the person who is in distress to save their life until we're able to get them to the I am the nurse slash doctor until we get this person or persons to the hospital. Was it your lunch break and you sat there eating the Chinese food while you watched this and then said, all right, well, now that I'm done, I'm going to help. Like, I don't, I don't understand the psyche behind that. And this is your job. We're not even talking about you, you know, being a, a regular person and you just happened to drive past this and you pulled over and sat by and watched. You were supposed to jump in and help. So I, I don't understand what the mindset was. Well, not only were you supposed to, quote, unquote, jump in to help, but go back to what you said. It was your job to assist, not to help, but to assist. And when I read it the other day, I was like, you have got to be kidding me. How it just makes no sense whatsoever. Part of my thought was, Lady Tamika, did you pull up and one of the patrol, you know, the the, the, the the officers tell you don't do anything? Did they threaten you and tell you you better not do anything? Well, that was, that was my automatic thought because um, in situations like that, and, and again, I'm not excusing any behavior, but there is that uh, brotherhood, sisterhood ideal that we are on the same plane or same field. And the only way that I can make that is when George Floyd was being held down, there was another officer uh, you know, can you take it, take your knee off of him? You know, he actually verbalized, and there was a hand literally saying, "Mind your business, I got this." You know, and um, is it that shot? Is it that frame of mind that that causes you to stop and not respond? You see somebody in detriment. This is your job. This is something that you're supposed to do. Were you threatened? Did somebody literally say to you, "If you move, I'll shoot you"? You know, what, what, what was it that caused you, you know, is was the compassion in you so much of a loss that you stood by and idly watched a man die? You know, my heart goes out to um, the family, you know, and anyone else that, you know, that city was, was so hard to watch and, and, and difficult for the heart because you literally watched this man scream for his mother and there was nothing given to him. You know, and so, again, you know, I, I, I don't even know what to say because, you know, how, what do you say? I'm sorry now? What, what are the words that you can actually verbalize to soothe an aching, you know, town, 
country, you know, uh, family members, friends. Uh, I, I, I go speechless after a while. And and you're right, because I thought about, I said, okay, I thought the same thing. I'm like, all right. So you pull up, and as you jump out to, you know how they, they always show you, you know, you they jump out and they open the back door and they pull out the gurney and, you know, where you stop from there. And if so, then, you know, do you, you, you have to join this brotherhood of madness and ill treatment and criminalistic activity because it is criminalistic to watch this and do nothing, especially when you're hired to do something. And I can't imagine leaning on a bus, a car, or a tree, watching this, knowing I'm supposed to be doing something. And I opt not to do anything. And knowing that I'm going to have to answer for this. I'm going to have to answer. This ain't something. No. And are you, you know, are you that afraid of the cops, of the kickback? Because now, you know, you, you, you have to work with these people going forward because all of you are on the same shift. So you have the, 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 the police, the fire, and the EMTs who all work in concert at times. Everybody goes out to the scene of of the occurrence. And now are you concerned that you have to, you know, worry about, well, what's going to happen on the next run if I do my job now? You know, how do you move forward? Let's say for argument's sake, you know, you didn't get fired and you just continued on this job. How do you move forward on a job like this, working with these same people? Now, let's put it in the opposite way. You're now working with the same people, Shanties, and each time you go, you know that you participated in the death, but all y'all still working together. Looking at you in... There's going to be a whole lot of crazy looking eyes and looking at you in scrutiny and because everyone now is going to be, mm. yeah, I remember how you didn't do your job during this incident. I remember how you sat back and did nothing during that incident. And a lot of times people, like, they would be in the wrong, but they have so much to say, want to fight, wanna, and I never understand that about people. Like, you're wrong. Shut up and be wrong. But that then turns into a whole other situation. So now this initial situation has grown legs. And I, I don't that that's a really good question. I don't know how you how you figured you could go to work the same job as you said and be able to have healthy relationships with your coworkers and so on and so forth when everyone knows what you did not do that you were supposed to do. Ah, Lady Tamika, we got the I know what you did last summer thing going on. You can't get out of this, you know, uh, uh, situation where we're all working in concert of knowing, you know, we didn't do what we were supposed to do. Is that worse than not being, is that worse than being fired? 
Well, not only that, you know, on a day when your shift changes and now you're working with me, I'm giving you the side eye. I, I, mm, who's who's working with me today? Oh, no, 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 no. You know, I'd rather be by myself, you know. And so that, that brotherhood thing, like, is the brotherhood more important than you, you know, being ostracized for, by other individuals that knew that you were there? Is it worth, okay, fine, you keep the job, but now you're scrutinized with everything and everyone. And I'm sure there's got to be added pressure now that you didn't contemplate at the time. You were just going with the flow. You were doing what everybody else was doing. Everybody in the room is doing it or everybody outside is doing it. So, you know, if nobody's going to come to the rescue, then I'm not going to come to the rescue. But now, after all of that is done, you know, over and done with and said and done, you know, for for you, you know, not for those that were affected. Now, how do you function? You know, how do you, you know, um, when you go to a grocery store and somebody recognizes you and they start questioning you, you know, those type of things. This this is not over, not by a long shot. And so now how do you live your life? How do you stand and hold your head up high and your chest forward um, knowing that you are a part of watching somebody literally leave this world, and they didn't have to. Mm-hmm. You know, they still, there are other, there's a couple of other officers that they're pulling in. Um, I remember reading the other day that it's still a, another couple of officers that they're going after. But I have to say, ladies, One of the things that annoys me about this uh, EMT thing, two of them are on this side of the fence. So you got EMT basic Robert Long, who's a young guy. He's not that old from this picture. You could tell. You've got EMT advanced Jermichael Sandridge, who looks to be a little older, maybe in his 30s, close to maybe 40. And you've got Lieutenant Michelle Whitaker. Those were the ones, those are the three that they now have on, you know, on this EMT thing. And the latter two are on our side of the fence. One who's an EMT advanced and one who's a lieutenant. Why us? I I still ask this question that makes me mad. Why us? Good Lord. Shanti's why us? Why us? We just never know how to act. We can never grow as a people because of stuff like, like, you had high ranking positions. You weren't the basic. I didn't know there was a lieutenant for the EMTs. I just learned something new. You have high rankings. So, because, you know, and I know it's movies, but, you know, you've seen the movies where, you know, whatever the situation is, whether it's drug dealers shooting at each other or cops and a civilian or cops and drug dealers or whatever, and the EMTs get called to the scene, and the EMTs are so aggressive because they have to do their job. Like, whatever's going on here, like, just don't shoot while I'm walking or running to whomever to get them up on this journey and get them in the back of this ambulance. You know, I, I really don't understand that not only as you being an EMT, but you having 
a high-ranking position. And we just see, and then when we, on this side, try to fight for things, they're able to now think on situations like this as to why they don't take us seriously, as to why we're just a joke to them automatically, as to why not only was your job you, so that meant as a lieutenant, the other two that was with you were under you. So they followed what you did. They saw that situation you just fell back and you watched, that's what they did. And they should know. But you're the lieutenant. You're supposed to lead by example. So you help to influence them. So now you're not only going to pay for your, for the choice you made, but the, uh, you're now going to pay for you influencing them to make the choice that they made. That That is just slow to me. And that's where I was going with Lady Tamika. You got the younger one looking at the older two in age. You got the younger one looking at the older two in rank. You got the younger one looking at the people on your side of the fence. So imagine y'all pulling up. And y'all go, y'all get out, and y'all are told, don't, don't even think about coming over here. So the three of you are at a standstill, and he is the only one on this, on the other side of the fence, watching the melee of all of us, the five officers, the Tyree Nichols on the ground being the same side of the fence, the two people who are allowing this to happen, who's sitting down, y'all didn't even call it in. Y'all didn't even call it in, Lady Tamika. So he's sitting there watching. Y'all do this to y'all. This is just too much for me. I am so completely just just tired. I'm 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 done, you know, with I, I I'm tired of seeing black lives die, you know, and then it's even worse that it's coming from us, you know. Um do we not I I mean have we still gotten to the point where we hate each other to that degree? You know, is there that much I mean you heard the man say, you know, get on the ground, get on the ground. He's on the ground. He's, he's handcuffed. What in the world, you know, how much of a fight is he giving up when you have to literally hold his head, hold, hold him so I can get him, you know, this type of thing. And um, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm completely speechless with this whole thing. I, I just, you know, I don't even, honestly, I'm at a loss for words today. I'm hurting in a place that is deeper than I can ever verbalize. All righty. Well, that there, unfortunately, this story is nowhere near over. It seems like every day another layer is coming out. So we, we are definitely not done with this. Let's talk about this NYCHA situation. Now, I I will say, okay, so Vivian says that 
right now, there are over. Let's let's just jump to the conclusion. Just jump to the end. With all the homelessness going on, NYCHA is speaking about the availability of apartments so that it could aid in the homelessness. So that means quite a few people would have homes with these 4,000 apartments in all of the five boroughs. So it's taking them up to 260 days before these apartments become occupied. Now, why would it possibly take you this long to get these places together? Well, number one, you could hire more people. You could hire more people to aid in this situation, in getting these apartments available. Number two, because of the homelessness, you want to be able to move expeditiously. Now, I will give a personal account. My mother passed away having a NYCHA apartment. My sister, not that long ago, was in the building visiting a neighbor, put her key, she still has the mailbox key, put the key in the mailbox key, um, in the mailbox, the mailbox key still worked. Now, you know if the mailbox key still works, then that probably that apartment key still worked as well. Because if they finished up the apartment, then they probably would be preparing it to put a family in there and they would be you know, change the mailbox key. Our names were still in the mailbox. There was just a note from I guess one of the mail people uh, not to put any more mail in there because the mail had been forwarded. My mother, just it was just a year on the 25th, so a whole year has gone by, and that apartment is still unprepared. What in the world? So I, this is, I said all that to say this is nowhere near a lie. This is nowhere near a lie. This is what is happening with all these people not having a place to live. Y'all are sitting on 4,000, as Vivian said, over 4,000 apartments and doing what? It don't take that long. It doesn't. Listen, it didn't take us that long to clear out the apartment. Why would it take you that long to do whatever you needed to do? I don't know. Lady Tamika, what are we talking about here? I'm not sure on that one either, Um, you know, because not only that, you're not taking care of what you already have. I have um, some people that live in NYCHA homes, and those areas, some of them, I'm not saying all of them, but some of them are deplorable, you know, and, yeah. and 
you know, even if you were going to allow, uh, again, those labeled asylum seekers to stay there, if I, if I was one of them, I would, I would camp out on, on the outside part as well. Because, you know, you brought me here, you know, and so you're supposed to take care of me. You can't even take care of those who are here. You know, you're not doing, come on, put in the effort. Every day somebody's, somebody's getting out of, out of a place. You know, there's issues that are transpiring. There are leaks. There are roaches. There are insects. There are uh, all types of pests, you know, uh, pests and things that are coming out, you know. And, you know, you, it seems as though when a complaint comes in, sometimes it takes years to resolve an issue and not because it takes that long. It's just that you, you're not doing it. You know, how long does it take to fix a sink when it first starts dripping and I'm complaining? Now my sink is literally hanging by just a piece of pipe, and it's not only affecting my place, it's affecting people downstairs, next door, you know. And what is it about these? Why, why can't we get past the same areas of concern? You know, does anybody care? Is anybody doing the part? And then for those, you know, little people that are doing the part, they need help. You know, how, how, how do we get the resources where they need to be so that things can get done for those who need it the most? Absolutely. So like you said, you know, you have apartments in there that need fixing, and people live in them, and they're not maintaining them. Well, you know, you may have an, a, an issue of how do we get in there, they're not giving us access, blah, blah, blah. But what about the apartments you ain't got to worry about getting no access to? You got keys. You can go up in there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and and fix that there. And, again, you do nothing. What are you doing? The question still stands, what are you doing? Where is the help? Because I'm going to tell you something. You, you Okay, so the minimum wage in New York City is $15 now. So you can't go beneath that. But there are people who would take that job for $15. Even if you didn't hire them permanently, even if you had just a, a regimen of hiring people who, you know, you, you for, for the excavation, you know, clean up, emptying out, because we pretty much cleaned up the apartment. We didn't really, we didn't leave it. We left very little in that apartment because we're just that kind of people. And then on top of that, we all like our stuff kind of laying around. So anything that had a name on it or any identifying articles or anything like that, we, we, we took out, if it wasn't like 50 bags of garbage we took out, we bought out 50 bags. So you really didn't have a whole lot to do. So you hire a little crew that goes in, they take care of the apartments at that level, and then you you out of there. And this is the way you can, you know, even if you did it with, like, let's say, like, people who are just out of high school or even high school students, you know, they get out of school and give them a few hours a day. I mean, there's so many ways that you can do this expeditiously that would help the employment um, area or lack thereof and help homelessness. I don't know, Shantisha, am I crazy? No. I'm not moving expeditiously because I don't have to live there. 
oh, why am I putting the pep in my stuff? That's the mentality. And it's sad because you claim you want to fix things. You claim, you know, and I just said to someone, like, I don't want to see nobody walking up out my grandmother's apartment. They just need to put the yellow tape across the door. That's it. Like, they, like there's so many people who need a stable place to live. And now we see why um, a lot of these apartment buildings, the projects, one of the reasons why it is the way they is because there's no steady maintenance. There's no steady If you won't even do this to help people initially get in there, you're not going to help the people that's already there. You know, so you, you, there has to be some type of, unfortunately, some type of incentive that they need because I agree with you. If you raise each each teenager fifty sixty dollars each they would be on it because a lot of them like to have the idea of having no money listen it all these places that got these work release programs for people who are out of jail men or women people out of jail you throw them you know some money you say you don't have to give each of them a lot of money because it would be done in group they would be fine. They would be willing to go in there and gut these apartments out. This would be a great way for you to teach them carpentry and painting. Like they, like, come on. How how is it that on this show we can think of nine hundred different ways to get something done that will be beneficial for all parties, and yet they sitting there scratching their heads and going, "Oh, do you?" Like, they, come on. Like, how many of these children need to learn basic skills? Need to learn to paint and you know, sand stuff down and scrub floors. Like, a lot of these kids don't know what it is to clean. So now you get to learn how to clean, learn how to do some other things in apartments or in homes, plus make some money. But because it, it has everything to do because it's not affecting me directly. If it's not affecting me directly, I don't see the importance. I don't see the need for the speed. I don't see anything. And now you got somebody outside cold, begging for, for food or they don't know where they're going to sleep tonight. Meanwhile, there's at least one vacant apartment we know, we know of. It's that. Absolutely, absolutely. And like, like we always say, you know, we come up with tons of ideas and, and remedies here. You, all the people that are hired to do this just don't seem to be, you know, doing that, and I don't understand it either. All right, I kind of saved this story as the semi-last because this one really rattled my nerves the other day. And this is this issue of these migrants who were not sent to the hotels. They were sent to, I believe it was Red Hook, that they were sent to, and they did not like the the accommodations. And they opted to camp outside on the sidewalk. I am not in agreement with they should fix up a certain way to match and a migrant's 
or an asylum seeker's expectation. They need to fix up these places, period. Now, if because of this overwhelming existence of you asylum seekers, you now have a room full of cots that because of the amount of people that they are trying to accommodate, your cots are not spacious, you know, you ain't got that six-foot, you know, COVID mandate. It is what it is because they have allowed so many of you to come over because they did not have these accommodations for the people that were already here. And now you're coming in on top of the initial homelessness you're coming in on top of all the other asylum seekers that have gotten here before you. It's not what you think it is because this has been going on for a while. And maybe these great levels of accommodations are no longer existing because it just ain't the way it can be. There's no money to make these beautiful accommodations that you thought you were coming over here to get. And now you opt to sleep outside in protest of your accommodations. And you have come over here and you already have a voice of discontent. You don't even have an ID card. And you have a voice of discontent. You feel you have a right to have your expectations met to the degree that you won't camp outside. And you have a right to do so. Shantish, you got the first leg on this one. Wait a minute, hold it. You mean to tell me they won't fix up apartments for us? But where you thought you would come over here to stay at the Waldorf? You take what you can get, and it does not mean I don't care who you are, whether you grew here, flew here. You, no one should be quote unquote expected to live like a bum. At the same time. I thought you came here to escape something. So how is your mind now so set on these high standards? Not, oh, I thought I was going to come here and be able to just sleep somewhere where there's four walls. But you got such a high level of standards that you're going to turn down wherever ain't the best, but I bet it was better than where you came from. But you know what's crazy? They would fix up for them before they fix up for us. Oh, yeah. They would They've pay done more attention. Yeah, they would pay more attention. See, I even know that. They would pay more attention to their ticket signs and their, their voice. Half of them can't speak English. And, and, and rush to meet their accommodations. Meanwhile, those who are here working or trying to get work and pay taxes and barely have health care and can barely eat because, according to them, 
they made too much money for food stamps and all of that. They'll be quicker to do that. And see, this is the problem with this country. Like, you open the doors for all of this, and you let them now come over here and dictate what they deserve and what they're going to have. And those who are already here who done put in the work, they've got bumped out of what handed to them first, which should be given to them first, whether it's first come, first serve, whether it's you got to work for this, whether it's just given to y'all on the first 5,000 who come, you know, but that that is just so crazy that you would be escaping something. That's like me coming from an abusive relationship where my man my eye blow up every day, my lip blow up every day, and now I get with another man, and it's like, well, listen, honey, when I come up in here, you better have rose petals on the floor. What? You just ma'am. Where was that energy over there? It's just so, like, and they let them do this. They let, that's why they do it. I heard about people before them who migrated here do the same thing and look successful. So now they come over here with that plan and we're going to go over there and we're going to demand that we get to live in Manhattan, that we get to, you know, live in in these $3,000 apartments for nothing and we're going to get this. That is so bugged out to me. You know, Lady Tamika, I remember when we first started talking about this and we, the article read, that the man came over here with his family and he said that he knew someone who had come here, that the people that had already arrived were sending back home and telling people back home how it was here. So they figure, well, since so-and-so said it was, great, I'm going over to such and such a place. And they had actually had one uh, group of men who said that they were coming over here to meet those people. I don't know if you remember that, but this is what the article said that these people had said. So now you have your eyes and your mind set, like Shanti said, you have your mind and your eyes set based on what somebody didn't told you. But by the time you get here, uh, 30,000 people didn't got here before you, because remember now we're at 30,000 per month in the United States. So 30,000 people didn't got here before you. And now your pickings ain't as ripe as other pickings have been for others. And now you mad. But I, I, I told you, I told you even as far back as that story right then and there, that we were going to end up right here. I told you, I told you, I told you. And now this is where we are, you know. And so, you know, I, I feel like everybody has a right to, you know, say, I don't want to live here, you know. But you also have to understand that these people just got here. I, 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 as a person who literally comes out on a weekly basis and feeds the homeless, 
There are familiar faces that I see on the same street. If I went to go see and I went down this particular street last week and I fed you, why am I coming back the following week and you're still in that same place? Why is it that you don't have a place to live? You're literally, whether it's, whether it's really, really cold out there or just a little bit, you're still in the same spot. You know, and I understand there are some situations where the person says, hey, I'd rather be out in the street than, than to be in a place because there's so many different demands, especially for those who have been here. But, again, you know, I just, you, you, and you're still bringing people in. You don't have an accommodation. I kept saying, where is the, 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 the fortune? You got, we got buildings in Brooklyn and every borough. I, I don't even have to just say Brooklyn. I said Brooklyn because that's where I live. But we have apartments uh, that could have been taken care of prior to. You know, let's, let's, this, this building has been abandoned for over a decade, over a dozen, over, you know, over 25 years, abandoned buildings. Why don't you take care of those? You know, and I understand that there's protocol and there's zoning, but get it done. And you're still bringing people here. And when they get here, they said, uh-uh, no, 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 no. I want to go back to the hotel. You, you're not gonna, we're just going to camp out. We're going to park, you know, we, me and Jose and Garcia and all of us. We're just going to have us, a, a, you know, a, a good time outside as opposed to being placed someplace. You're going to take care of us, you know. And, and, and it's sad because, again, I'm seeing people familiar. You're now becoming a familiar face. I've been feeding people for months and seeing the same faces in the same places. And who's taking care of that? You know, adding to the fact that these people have opted to camp out on the street in front of this place. They got tents now. You you got tents. And you've opted to camp out in front of this place. Our regular homeless people couldn't do that. You let a, an American homeless person think you going to put your tent, your box, your anything in front of these buildings. They're not walking past you. Ain't nobody advocating for you. And they're going to come by and say, well, you know, the conditions that, you know, they saw and met, you know, we got to consider that, you know, they don't want to stay there. Ain't nobody advocating for you. They will mandate the cops are going to come through and they're going to mandate that you get up from there. You are not going to be able to open up nothing there. Y'all got tents? Go find someplace else. Make your own place. Make your own asylum uh, 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 camp. Since y'all all came to be with one another, then be with one another. Y'all go find an empty lot and camp out there. Since the conditions that you thought you were coming here to get are not meeting your expectation, then go park someplace else and do what you do. Play some of that. Eventually you'll find something. Just keep going. You know, you remember now, if you leave, move out of a hotel for a little bit, then you, if you don't meet that type of that time, some you lose your spot. Listen, it's a little harder to, 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 to get that spot the way it used to be, but uh, keep trying. I say we don't have the ability to do none of this stuff 
when we go into these other countries. We don't have a voice. We got to deal with what we got to deal with. Shatis. Absolutely. We would get lynched, stabbed, gutted, shot, raped, assaulted. There's no, you, got, you would have to blend in and look like you're one of them in order to even survive, let alone you go up in there talking about, well, this is what I prefer. They'd be done slap you in and push you up out, out the office. Please. We, and that's why I just said a little while ago, that's what makes me so upset about this country because it's just this whole, sure, welcome, come on in, come on, come on. What, what would you like? Meanwhile, there's so many of us, like Lady Timothy just said, that are in need, and you just bypass like it's nothing. Why is it like such a rush for you to help outsiders and help them to maintain? This is why they, they have their own communities here. Because, listen, I came here. This is what I'm going to do. I happen to ain't got no business license. I'm going to set up shop here. I'm going to make my money. I dare you to come and tell me I can't, all that. Meanwhile... We have to jump through all these hoops and do everything. Just to set up a tent? Like you one of the Hebrews walking through the wilderness? How do you do that? Because I, I agree with you, Pastor Steph. There is no way. God forbid you had a table tray on the sidewalk. There'll be, uh, excuse me, what, what, when, when did you buy this table tray? Why is it here? What are you putting on it? What, what do you do? I'm sorry, TV tray. What, what, what are you doing? It's like they, they get away with so much and they know that and this is why they to push and push and push and push. It's ridiculous. You know, Lady me I remember years ago, I went to Puerto Rico. And when we got over there, my girlfriend and I, nobody spoke English. You really had to fight. I would have never imagined the communication of and, and lack of English-speaking people were so few because I'm accustomed to over here, everything we got, when I dial something, I have to press two if I speak English. I, I, I don't hold on if I speak English, and you press two if you don't speak English. I got to press two if I want to speak English. And we don't get those luxuries. Everything we have, we have in, in dual language. Every form we get on the front is, is English, on the back is Spanish. Everywhere you go, they you have to accommodate to their lifestyle. You have to accommodate to their accommodations. You have to, you know, work in what they have. They come over here, everything is catered to them. Everything is customized for them more than it is for us. If you notice, and I, I, I did some research because now when you read papers and you get forms and it will say, are you Spanish speaking? or You know why? Because they're trying to weigh out because they're building more and more the building blocks of accommodating Spanish speaking people. So if you notice, they never ask you, if you're like African American, if you're black or whatever, but they'll always ask, "Are you Spanish?" 
and I'm saying to myself, I got to do some research. And I did some research, and it's strictly because they are trying to find a way to accommodate them even more. They're trying to find out what the population is. You don't go anywhere else and you have this luxury of being accommodated. Have you seen it? Uh, No, I haven't. Um, In other areas, the other thing is if I go to, let's just say, um, Japan, you know, it's a requirement for me to speak Japanese. You know, you can you can kind of finagle for a little while, but after a period of time, you're going to have to learn to speak the language, you know. Right. And so, um, you know, that, that that is one thing that I've always known about, you know, let's just say New York itself. You know, now I'll be honest, within the last, this is 20, when I went to Puerto Rico last, you found more English-speaking people, and you did, you did see a little bit of a shift, you know, whereas there's a lot more English, you know, but it's, I, I think it's because it's closer to us. Now, if you go further out, like Mexico or, or other places, you won't find that accommodation. You either figure it out or you learn to speak the language, you know, um, and not picking on anyone, but if you are in a in a, in an area where the predominant language is whatever language it is, it would behoove you to learn the language. You know, you have people that are that are walking here that have no idea what I'm saying to them. You know, I just happen to have a benefit because I do speak Spanish. But you know, what happens when you get here? And now you have to structure your life. You have to find schooling for your children. You need health insurance. You need there's, – there's a multiplicity of things that um, I can go and say that you're going to need. And you're going – you know, here, you know, the benefit for you is there's always somebody nearby that can speak your language, that can understand. But if I were to go to, like I said, you know, to Japan where the predominant language is Japanese, I'm going to have to learn that language, and there is no other around it. Not only that, I'm going to have to learn. I'm not picking on the way that they write, but I'm going to have to learn what the, each one of those symbols means. And I know that's going to be major complicated because it's not even, you know, our normal um, letters. You know, ABC, it, it's figures and figurines and all types of designs and pretty gorgeous little things that you're going to have to get access to. You don't have that here. It's, it's kind of like the yellow brick road, you know, which is why I've often said that you are told in other countries that this is a place of benefit where people get growth. And, and it is to a degree, but there's also what they don't tell you is the struggle that you have to go to get here, especially if you were born here. And so, you know, you get access to things that I've never gotten access to. I had to struggle to get health insurance and now it's giving to you freely freely and you don't have to pay for it you know and so there are all these types of benefits that you get that because you were brought here um seeking asylum that we don't get access to and so you know you feel that because all of these movies that show you the the high class part they 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 neglect to show you that there are areas that are skid row right here in brooklyn right here in all the five boroughs that you need to get access to. You need to be exposed to both sides. 
because you don't always get to the mountain high. Sometimes you have to struggle through the valley low to get there. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh, ladies, you've done a fine job today uh, with our uh, topics, and we thank you for your contribution into today's conversation, and we pray you have a blessed day. Have a blessed day. You too. Thank you. All right. You know what time it is. It's Wednesday. And it's almost time for us to say see ya. But before we do that, we always get our faith over fear segment with our Pastor Charlene. Good morning, Pastor Charlene. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today, my love? I'm well. Thank you. I'm well. Thank you. Hoping that you're doing well also. Ah. Good. Pastor Charlene, you know, we're talking about several things here, and I'm going to give you your pick of the litter. What would you like to talk about today? Um, I, I had a little bit for everybody. Let's go with, let's go with uh, Niger. Um, in the projects, I used to live in there as well, um, but what I find now is that not only there, even where I'm at, that they're always looking for a cheaper way um, to do it. So when the apartments, I found out that if someone passes an apartment, that they lock the apartment for a whole year, something that I didn't understand. And in the, in the meantime of the year, they don't even... Um, they wait for a certain time, then they allow the family to come in to get the stuff. But even in the mix of that, they still uh, just hold the apartment. And when you have the people that need a place to live, um, as y'all were saying, that why are we holding something that someone else can come in? So one day I was asking questions to uh, like our owner, and my question to them was that for the people that need to live somewhere, because you won't give it, they used to give it to the to the family, right? So the children or whoever name was on the lease. Now they don't do that anymore as well. What they do is they pick and choose who they want if they like if they like you, or however they will allow you to come in to stay. Now they can say no. Even though your child has been living with you um, in your home that whole entire time, they can put them out. You have to go to court to do that as well. So people don't only, they use, I call, uh, when someone gets fired from that job or leaves from that job, they are not hiring people as well. So that pushes back of trying to get the households redone. But when you see on the news how they have these people living in, not mice, rats, um, and then they use the excuse of that they don't have the material to come and do all the apartments. Now, my question is always how not because you don't live here with us so you feel that you can just turn your back on us and I know somebody else had said that but my thing is 
even though the the people get together, and I, I know that that has happened even over where I'm at, that they get together, they have these meetings, they bring the, the owner in, and they bring in all these different other people. But why don't we get to the part of fixing who's here first? And then being able to go into these other apartments, you know, to be able to fix them. I'm still trying to figure out what is the unfairness. And my thing is that you're making, as the people come in, now you don't have, remember back in the day they used to screen people to come to live anywhere. They don't do that anymore. So now you have the people fighting among each other. And that's what it seems like to me. You have people fighting among each other to see who is able to get what done. And now you are starting a, a, a thing with it. My, I, my heart goes out to all those that have issues in their apartment. And you have to learn how to, to, to do things for yourself as well. But the, the fear of this all comes into of, uh, are we all going to get to a place where that we don't have anywhere to live? Meaning that everything is just going to fall apart. Is everything is just going to happen? Are we going to allow this? It's more of us than them. So it has to come to where that everybody, because when you have these meetings and stuff, everybody don't come out. Everybody don't participate, but everybody wants their apartment done. And that's where we have to stop fighting among each other because I've heard people say, oh, you got yours done? You got a new refrigerator? Oh, you got this done? Oh, no, why I didn't get it done? And now it's animosity between the neighbors. So we have to get to a place where that we come together and just being able to know, wait a minute, let's, first of all, let's get together because, you know, I'm always going to say we got to first go to God. We got to go to God. We got to be able to come together. We got to pray together. We got to be able to not allow the enemy to come in and being able to do whatever that he feels that he should do. If we all continue to separate each other, and that's one of the biggest things, but the people that, you know, are doing this, they don't care about you. But if we take a stand together, together, and that's what a lot of people don't do. We don't want to come together. Put down all your faults that you might have with your neighbor. Put down all your faults that you might have with what's going on in the system. Let's come together, stand together, go together to the courthouse. Go together and be able to speak up. Now, I have seen people do it, but people get tired. But you cannot allow that to come in, and that's what we do. We got to trust and believe that God is going to turn it around. We got to trust and believe that we can't give up. You can't give up. You got to continue to press forward and being able to know that we need to take this owner out because he doesn't care. Back in the day, they used to have the people that lived in the building was the security. They don't have that anymore. Back in the day where that they, each person was able to, I'm able to come to your house and get a cup of sugar. I'm able to come to your house. Can you take my packages? We don't have that now. We don't have that now. Too busy stealing from each other. Too busy fighting once among each other. So that's probably one of the reasons, you know, that one of the owners has said that's what people don't care. But that don't give you the right 
not to care about the others. So let us come together on one accord and be able to be able to know we have to live here. And if we don't fight together and stand one together, then all it's going to do is crumble. There's no division. We have to be able to become unity together and being able for us to stand and being able to know that God can turn it around. God can turn it around. And we have to be able to to do that as well. Amen. Amen. Amen, Pastor Charlene. Thank you so much for giving us our tidbit fate over fear this morning regarding housing. Wow. Wow. I always say you were able to give uh, uh, faith over fear segment over everything. Uh, thank you so much. We pray you have a blessed day. You do the same. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, our benediction today. To the King of Ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. First Timothy one seventeen. Mm, you know, we have uh, <laughs> quite these stories today, as always, are real thought provoking. When you when you look at the situation, you know it makes it makes you think. It makes you think. And one of the stories that we didn't cover was the ninth grader who is now facing charges um, because she's responsible for the teacher's broken leg and how there was a teacher, and I did see this article also, where she says she works like in Walmart or Costco or something, and she's like so stress-free now. You know, she doesn't, you know, have to worry about, you know, the pressures of being a teacher and, you know, her days are different and more relaxing and so forth and so on. And I said, you know, it's a shame where someone who loves to teach is now disenchanted with teaching because of the conditions that have grown in the school. And, you know, this this, this comes this condition comes from several different angles. It comes from the angle of the home where these children are experiencing things in the home or not experiencing things in the home and now when they come to school that's where they take it out on. You know, they take it out. That's you know, the students and the teachers or who they take it out on. You're you're coming from an angle of a system where you're told, you know, you can't chastise your kid, you know, physically, you know. You can talk and all of that kind of stuff, or you can hit, but as long as it's not an open hand. Well, you don't want me to hit with an open hand, but I can't hit with a fist either. It can't be everything. I can't use an object to beat the child with because that's, you know, illegal as well. So you need to make up your mind. And because, you know, these children understand that, you know, they have power, and the power to pick up the phone and, and, and call 911 and things like that, you know, they wield that power. 
So now it's the animals running the zoo. You're talking about a world that they're entering in where it's a dog-eat-dog world. You know, every man for himself. And now, what are you up against as a child now? Because it's about survival. Only the strong will survive. And that's what, you know, all different types of, of, of angles they're coming from. You're talking about now more children are coming into this country, which means the, 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 what do you call it, the classrooms are more packed. The teacher composition is dwindling, but the classrooms are growing. They're fighting for attention. You know, so, you know, the, the children are up against a whole lot. And now you have a ninth grader who is facing charges and will have to go into some type of juvenile place, you know, to deal with that opposed to, you know, what they did, consequences of their activities, instead of going into some type of place where she's going to get some help to deal with that anger and understand what she did and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, our children don't stand a chance in a sense unless you give them Jesus. Unless you give them God, they don't stand a chance. So it, where does it fall? It falls back to us. Us as the people who claim that we are the children of God. We claim we're the children of God, then we are going to have to stand up, step up, so that you can... You know, do what God needs you to do. You can say what God needs you to say. You can fight how and when God tells you to fight so that the conditions can change. We are not hopeless. We are not a hopeless group of people. We serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I mean, you, you just don't have that hopelessness that other people have who don't know God. So if we decide to be on the Lord's side, then, you know, we have a little something that we can work with. So we're not, you know, uh, holding hands and holding hearts, as I always like to say, and not being able to fight. We can fight. We can fight for better conditions in our schools, we can fight for better teachers, we can fight we can make we can fight but we cannot fight alone. We cannot fight you know, if we don't stick together. That's not gonna work. We have to make sure we, we do what we need to do because we have to fight for our children. You know, our children are really at a disadvantage when they don't have Homes that are being run by uh, people of God. They are real. The challenge is amazing, especially if you have your child or if that child is in a you know structured religious um, Christian um, atmosphere. Then when they go home, what what are they up against? They're up against the forces and the principalities 
that are not going to benefit them. So that's why we must do what we need to do for our children. Because when we don't, our children are going to fall by the wayside. And when they fall by the wayside, they're going to be angry children. I just got finished saying to another pastor the other day, I said, when have we ever known such young people who are just so angry? I have never seen this before, ever. Everybody's angry. The grown people are angry because things ain't going their way. The kids are happy because things ain't going the way they should go. And things ain't going their way. Everybody's unhappy. Everybody's unhappy. Well, get on the side of the Lord. How about you turn this thing around and you give God your life? And when you give God your life, you really give God your life. You develop that relationship with God that you need to. And God is not the only one fighting. That, you know, your faith is all that high, but the works are dead. We can't live like that. If we want to see a change in our life and a change in the lives of others. You know, to talk about these people coming over here and making demands, they're unhappy. They're unhappy where they are, and they've been sold a dream that when they come over here, life is great. And they come over here and they see something different. And now, you know, they think they have a voice. And they have a ground that they're standing on. And they're demanding like Shanti said, not considering where you came from, where they come from, they don't have this voice. A lot of these places, you can't even read your Bible in peace. And that's between you and God. They ain't talking about standing on the corner doing this stuff. This is you and God. You can't, you got to go in a cave in some of these places just to read your Bible. But when you come here, you got a voice. They could never behave like this in their country. Not even a little bit. So my advice to you is get on the Lord's side because that's the only way you're going to find peace in this world of madness. You've been listening to It's Due Time with Pastor Steph. Join us Monday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. where we discuss matters of the heart, mind, and spirit. As you go through your day, be sure to set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, because they will only serve as a distraction. Remember, prayer changes things. It's Pastor Steph signing off, and I want to thank my due time crew, our ladies who always come through big time. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Please do not miss the opportunity to give Jesus your life right now or miss that opportunity to strengthen that relationship in the Lord, with the Lord, right now, because later is not promised to any of us. Until tomorrow, where is Therapeutic Thursday? Uh, God spare our life. I love you.